Did you know that sugar, believe it or not, is one of the most addictive substances on earth? And so if you've ever said anything like, oh, I could never give up pasta or bread or chocolate, it's probably because you are struggling with an addiction that you don't even know you have. But if you're ready to break that addiction once and for all, then buckle up because today's episode is going to tell you exactly how to do just that. Welcome to the Ditch the Carbs podcast brought to you by Thinlicious. I'm your host, Ruth Sukup, and here we'll talk about everything from the science of weight loss and metabolic flexibility to practical tips for making your health a priority in the midst of a very busy life. It's the perfect blend of insightful education, practical application, and good old-fashioned motivation. So buckle up, friend, because it's about to get real. And welcome to the Ditch the Carbs podcast. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Ruth Sukup, and I am the founder of Thinlicious and the Thin Adapted System, as well as the New York Times bestselling author of seven books. And in today's episode, we're going to take a deep dive into a topic that actually makes a lot of people pretty nervous. In fact, it's possibly one of the biggest deterrents to even wanting to attempt a low-carb lifestyle, and that is the thought of giving up sugar for good. We're going to get to the interview in just a second, but first, I wanted to give you one quick reminder, which is that if you are new to this podcast and to the low-carb lifestyle, then I would love to send you our free starter guide. It's super helpful for understanding a little bit of the science behind our program, basically how it works and why it works and why if you've reached a certain age, it might feel like your metabolism has just stopped working. You can grab that at thinlicious.com slash guide. Once again, it's totally free and you can get it at thinlicious.com slash guide. You got it? Okay, good. So with that out of the way, I am so excited to be able to introduce you to today's expert interview guest, Mike Collins. I actually had the pleasure of meeting Mike in person at KetoCon this year, and I got to say he is as lovely in person as he is online. And as the founder of sugaraddiction.com and the Quit Sugar Summit, He's also incredibly well-versed in understanding the dangers of sugar and what it does to our bodies. Mike is so passionate about helping people break their sugar addiction for good, and he has built an incredible community around that very goal. And so without further ado, here is my interview with Mike Collins. Mike, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me, Ruth. I really appreciate it. It's always a pleasure to speak with uh, the low-carb advocates of the world. Yeah, right. I know. And I am excited about this topic. So before we dive into the details of sugar addiction and the keys for breaking that sugar addiction, can you just give us like a quick rundown or overview of your philosophy around this topic? How did you even get started down this path? Yeah, thanks. No, it's, uh, you know, it's almost another lifetime again, but uh, about 37 years ago, excuse me, I got sober from alcohol and drugs and I just wanted to get healthy. And uh, I ran across a book called Sugar Blues, and and it just made a lot of sense to me. And it was a long time ago, and uh, the guy that wrote it, uh, he uh, he eventually married Gloria Swanson, the famous movie star. It's like her last. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, her third marriage. And they promoted that book in the early 80s. And and I just latched onto it. And and I don't know, I just made it my thing and raised a couple of sugar-free kids. Just have always been, you know, kind of a health nut, but I had a regular career. You know, mm-hmm. the kids said, uh, Dad, you should write a book. Because <laughs> they grew up kind of strange because they didn't have any sugar when they were young, you know. Yeah. And so, you know, I finally just- did that you know, got involved in sugaraddiction.com about 10 years ago. So it's been quite a ride. So did you, did you actually go and write a book then after your kids? I did. We have a book on Amazon, you know, I'll give it, I'll I'll (laughs) tell the folks where to get it at the end, but. Awesome. I love that. And it's interesting. I mean, that you were talking about breaking sugar addiction or thinking about this in the eighties and nineties when, most people were talking about fat in the eighties and nineties. Like fat was the was the evil thing, but sugar was not the was not the evil thing. So you were so you were true. ahead of your time. So <laughs> and I fell into the fat, low fat thing myself too. I mean, I didn't eat sugar, but I also ate low fat, which I think was a mistake <laughs> health wise. Yeah. So interesting, yeah. interesting. Okay, so. I'm just super curious, before we dive into your practical steps, what is the most surprising thing that you've learned through all your work on sugar addiction? Because like you said, you've been doing this a long time. You've probably seen a lot, heard a lot, just researched a lot. I would love to know, like, what is the thing that like really shocks people or surprises people when it comes to sugar addiction? This is a good question, and I'm really excited that you asked it, especially right up front, because usually it takes the arc of an entire podcast <laughs> or, or interview or something for, for us to get to this. So here it is. And everybody that's not, Ruth's already sitting down, so everybody that's not sitting down, sit down, okay? Ooh. It has nothing to do with the food or what you eat, zero. It has nothing to do with the food or what you eat. Here's the thing. So over the decades that I've been doing this and full time for the last six or seven years and coaching people, we've got platforms with 15,000 people in. we've got two Zoom meetings a day in support. We have found that this is not a diet. It's the furthest thing from a diet. It's a substance use disorder recovery, meaning that People, until they understand about that they are psychologically, <clears throat> physiologically, biologically addicted to a substance, then they're not able to get free of this. That they're not looking for a sweet treat on their mouth. They're looking for a dopamine hit. And when I say dopamine, I mean a constellation of dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, GABA, uh, your adrenals, your endorphins, all of these sub, all of these bodily feel good chemicals are related to, sh- to your sugar use. And we've literally been hijacked since we were babies, probably since the womb, but since we were babies on a substance that is psychoactively um, uh, active. <laughs> no, it's a psychoactive drug. And Most people don't realize they kind of grow up because sugar is almost free and pretty much ubiquitous. They can get it anywhere, anytime. Even a child can score it with no money. Um, Yes, it sounds decidedly druggy, but people don't realize consciously that they are moving towards their emotional life is being managed 
by a substance. And literally when they get off of it, it's like all of these emotions attack you at once. Old stuff, old trauma, old feelings, and, and your new stressors, right? And it just takes a little bit, like I said, it usually takes an arc of a podcast, but it definitely takes some indoctrination for people to understand that they are getting off, they are changing the, the way that they manage their emotional life, especially people that, that self-identify as addicts. Now, people who we call harmful users, those folks possibly can go back to using a little bit of sugar after they've taken a quite a bit of a break or a reset. But people that are addicts, they're just not going to be able to go back some of them and use sugar and ultra processed carbs as well, because they all turn into sugar in your stomach. So that's the shocking part of all this. It's not, it's the furthest thing from a diet. There's no, yes, you have to eat whole food. That's important. Everybody knows this, but they come here knowing this. But they also come here asking me, What's my food plan? What's my exercise plan? And they have to, we have to slowly move them over to the other side of the, the uh, understanding that this has been an emotional, a life, uh, uh, the emotions of your life have been managed by sugar. And, and people yes. take, it takes a while for them to catch that. So there you go. That, I mean, and it really is, I think, so shocking for people to realize that you're not, like when we say sugar addiction, we're not just saying, oh, haha, yeah, I have a sugar addiction as if it's nothing. It is it is literally just as addictive and just as destructive as being addicted to alcohol or drugs and and what it's doing to your body and, and physiologically what it's doing to your body. It is an actual addiction. And that's what you're that's what you're saying. It's not this yeah, isn't just a matter of dieting. This is a matter of breaking an addiction. Yeah, I started in late stage food addiction, Ruth. I, I worked with people 100, 200, 300 pounds overweight, losing limbs, going blind, and they still couldn't put down the sugar. They, I mean, and the fastest growing group in our uh, community, in our on our platform, is people that are already sober from drugs and alcohol and still couldn't put down the sugar. To a man, to a woman, every one of them says, Sugar was harder to put down than the other drugs that they put down. So it's, it, that should be telling enough. Mm-hmm. And you're right. A hundred percent. People always make that joke. Oh, I'm addicted to bread. Oh, I'm addicted to chocolate. You know, it, and it's funny, funny right now until it's not, you know, until people get really serious about it. So. So true. Okay. So let's really dive in. Now that we know this is an actual addiction, let's dive in and talk about the keys to breaking your sugar addiction. How many, how many keys are there first of all, and what is then the first step that somebody needs to take? Well, obviously, I mean, it, 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 you know, you, you do have to stop using it. You have to have a period of abstinence. But the important part is during that period of abstinence, when you stop using sugar and ultra processed carbs, then you're going to go through a withdrawal system cycle, right? You're going to be lethargic. You're going to be irritable. You're going to be starving all the time because your body is wanting to get this old substance back in and your mouth and your stomach was the delivery system, right? And so it's going to take time, And you, but you have to be aware during that time period 
that you're going to be substituting new methods uh, for changing how you're feeling. Massage, walking, yoga, a hug, call a friend. You've got to begin the process of self-soothing in another way, right? A different way, a way that is doesn't hijack the body's reward chemicals. See, what happened is over, you know, literally it's only been about 10,000 years and which is just a little bit in human evolution, just a, you know, a couple of seconds in human evolution. We have figured out a way to hack a 10 million year old evolutionary process that was supposed to help us find food and sex and recreate the species. And we learned how to, we learned how to sit on the couch and hack that system, right? So now we can feel good. We can get that little dopamine, serotonin. We can get these hits by ingesting a product, right? Ingesting a substance. And until we realize and separate these two things out, then we'll continue. Now, you've heard the information. I mean, I'm sure you have in your industry that anyone who loses any amount of weight in the first year gains it all back in the first year and then some. And even even the people on the, the biggest loser, they did a study, the CDC did a study. They all gain it all back. And here's why. What happens is anybody can kind of white knuckle it and they can get, a, you know, they can get 10 days or 30 days and, and or, or 60 days even and they can exercise like crazy and get a little dopamine hit. But then when some life circumstances come up, financial, relationship, kids, spouse, whatever, they fall back to their old standby on how to manage that, that angst, that, that worry, that fear. And they, they just, the, the diet goes right out the window, quote unquote diet goes right out, the whole food diet goes right on the window. So the important thing to remember is that there we have systems to continuously remind you that it, it's not the food and to work on self-soothing yourself during the detox. Because if you wait and you white knuckle it and you, um, you know, uh, do it by sheer willpower, for 30 or 60 days, you're not going to be in a place uh, 60 days from now to be able to handle life's ordinary stressors, let alone maybe old trauma that might come up, right? So it's super important to realize during the process that you are changing your self-soothing methods. So it's a combination. What I hear you saying is it's a combination. This first step is, first of all, like cutting it out of your life because you have to, the abstinence has to happen. But as soon as you do that, there's this void that you need to learn how to fill in other healthy, healthier ways so that you have that ability to self-soothe and prevent that from happening in the future. So you, like I heard, heard you say yoga, like if we're being super practical, yoga, meditation are things that can help. What are some other, other things? I assume no, talking, support. having support system helps. Yeah. Like I mentioned before, people always want to know what's my food plan? What's my exercise plan? And mm-hmm. I think, you know, in a low carb world, and I'm sure a lot of your speakers are going to tell you that the idea that you can burn off these calories has been debunked, right? But people yes. re- must realize that what we use exercise for is for the the same self-soothing, self-management, going out for a walk, okay? Mm-hmm. Get doing some weightlifting or yoga or whatever. Something that 
Um, and that's why we exercise. We don't exercise for cal- quote unquote calorie burn. That's pretty much been debunked. Um, what we exercise for is to get this uh, new flow of endorphins, this new flow of, of uh, norepinephrine, GABA, you know, all of these great, wonderful feel good chemicals that the God or nature, whatever your belief system has endowed us with. Right. And so they have to do that. They have to incorporate something like that in there to help them feel better. Right. As they're splitting apart. And another thing people like I can, I can get, you know, drop a kind of a, a research knowledge bomb. You know, we do a summit ourselves and I've, we're going to have our 10th and we've just had our 10th event. And uh, uh, I've interviewed over 400 experts. And when you get right down to it, the, the sugar molecule, that, so for folks that don't know, the table sugar molecule is half glucose and half fructose, right? And we realize, we understand what glucose is doing to the body, right? Um, diabetes and weight gain and everything. We've been studying that for years, right? But they don't, what's really coming now in science very rapidly, and if somebody on your, you know, that's listening wants to get off sugar, they should study fructose because fructose or fructose, so there's different pronunciations, literally affects the nucleus accumbens. It affects the, the processing in the body. It can only be processed in the liver. It causes a whole host of things people don't realize, IBS. You know, there's actually a disease, fructose intolerance or fructose malabsorption. So if somebody wants to get off of sugar, they should study the fructose part that the science is exploding on. Literally, and it's really only been three or four years now where the science of this uh, understanding of fructose has really uh, uh, exploded. So, you know, study... Where is, so fructose is, makes up half of table sugar. Are there other places where fructose is found that are things that you should avoid? Yeah, you're getting down to something that really I get a lot of pushback on and a lot of, uh, um, you know, that can't be kind of thing. And, and when you're trying to get off the sugar, you should cut back. On, you definitely shouldn't eat, drink juices. Like, I don't care if it's organic, raw, whatever juices, orange juices, yeah. or dried fruit. Dried fruit is like little bits of candy. It's so concentrated. The fructose is so concentrated that it's powerful. And really, you shouldn't only eat low glycemic, low fructose um, fruits with berries or um, strawberries or blueberries or something like that, blackberries. And only if you need a little bit of a, you know, it's almost like uh, I, I, people don't hate when I say this, but it's like your methadone. It's like your Suboxone. It's a way to ease through the withdrawals a little bit with a couple of handful, not like a whole pint, but yeah. a, a handful of berries will help you get through the detox, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the molecule is the same, right? The molecule of um, that's in the fruit is the same as the one that's in the sugar, right? The molecule doesn't change. It's still hitting, especially if you're like drinking a big glass of orange juice, that hits the liver with the same veracity as a Coca-Cola, okay? It's yeah. it, it's really, it turns into fat, right? And creates, this is something people don't realize, Ruth. We have an epidemic of five-year-olds with fatty liver. Now this is an alcoholic's disease, right? But fructose also causes fatty liver, okay? And the fructose can only be processed in the liver. 
It has difficulty in the intestines. It literally punches little holes in the intestine. Okay. So you've got to heal your gut up with this lowered fructose. Okay. Because you don't want the fat and the salt and, uh, you know, the things that shouldn't be in your blood system, um, you know, floating around and being processed by the liver, right. And the fructose included. So it's, you know, it, like I said, it takes a little bit of time to set this all up scientifically so people can kind of grasp what they're dealing with. And this is not something that I invented or this is something all I've done is interview the experts and try and get the information to you guys. So, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, the fruit thing is is hard for a lot of people, especially when you think about low carb, because it's been so ingrained in us that fruit is healthy and, and, you know, you should eat more fruits and vegetables, right? Eat your fruits and vegetables. We've heard that our whole lives. And yet what you're saying is that this fructose, especially in, in fruits that contain high amounts of fructose, which is, you have to be really careful about it is actually causing a lot more damage than we realize. Absolutely. Absolutely. And people, and it keeps the cravings alive too. That's what, you know, what, what fun would this be? What, accomplishment would it be if you would fall to, a, you know, whatever your goals were to put type two diabetes in remission or get, you know, find, find a weight that was comfortable for you. Uh, what good would it be if you're always craving sugar? You're always right. thinking about it. You know, you've got to put your brain at peace. And the only way to do that is to get far enough away from it because it is a physical craving. One, I've not really been able to understand scientifically that literally the, your taste buds, your brain, your your feet, everything co-ops to, to crave more sugar. You know what I mean? It's like mm -hmm. really a, a powerful driver, human driver, because remember, you know, uh, like just even 5,000 years ago, we were craving this feeling this dopamine to get sex and to find food, right? To, to keep us alive. And now we've been able to substitute it with, if we ingest sugar, we satiate that feeling that we get that dopamine, you know? So, and remember dopamine is for everything like GABA and norepinephrine, like, like serotonin. Let's, let's take serotonin, oxytocin. Okay. Oxytocin is the bonding chemical that mothers get when the baby comes out and they put it on her chest. When you get a hug, you know, your husband, this is a bonding chemical for human beings, right? Serotonin are the, is the things they play with for depression meds. Okay. Paxil and Prozac. These are serotonin selective reuptake inhibitors, SSRIs, right? And when you go to the doctor to get SSRIs, what do they do? What they do is they try and play with the dose. They say, oh, this one doesn't work. Well, we'll give you a little bit more of this. Maybe you'll feel better, blah, blah, blah. And then we'll give you a little Celebrex on top of that, blah, blah, blah. Well, we are, as human beings have unconsciously through a process we were not responsible for, ended up playing with how we feel by how much sugar we ingest, right? We're playing with our feelings, our emotions with this substance, right? Unconsciously until we separate it, like we mentioned, mm -hmm. we are playing with this process. We're playing with a, a 10 million year old evolutionary process with a substance that now is perfectly legal that you could give to a baby. Look, scientifically, so 
Huh? It's scary. It, it really it's is scary. scary when you really do think about it from that perspective. That yeah. it's as powerful as a drug, and it's it's changing our body chemistry the same way that a controlled substance does. And yet, we're given we're handing it to our kids. We're saying, "Here, drink this big old glass of apple juice," thinking that right. we're doing something good for them. Right. When really, we're it's it it really is. It's it's terrifying. And I was talking with someone yesterday who said, "You know, once you." Once you see it, you can't unsee it. And yes. once you know, you can't unknow it. And once yes. you start to realize what this is actually doing to you, man, it really does change the way that you think about everything you start putting in your mouth. So well said. So right. Because look, this has happened in our lifetime. Okay. Seatbelts in cars, drinking and driving, smoking in public places, you know, when we were young, you know, just was just don't get caught the drive drinking and driving. Now you're a pariah in society. If you smoke cigarettes, if you drink and drive. When I was young, they didn't have seatbelts in cars. My mother still has this right arm thing. She like, like <laughs> she'll be driving and she'll be sw- like she's seven, 80 something years old. Like, like she still does it. Like it's a habit that she developed when we were kids. Right. It's like, She's trying to stop us from because we didn't have seatbelts, right? But when science said that seatbelts saves lives, right? You know, they, they, you know, people accepted it, right? The same thing with the AIDS movement, right? It's like they didn't out people in San Francisco because they wanted to be mean. They outed people to get health care for AIDS, right? And so this is this is happening with sugar scientifically. People are starting to, you know, put two and two together as to why the obesity crisis keeps going up. And you mentioned the 80s when I started understanding is that's when high fructose corn syrup came into the diet system. And if you track the numbers of weight gain with the growth of high fructose corn syrup in the diet, they run parallel, right? Yes meaning the more high fructose corn syrup we got, the heavier we got, right? And it just keeps going up. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's sad, really, because, you know, the diet industry is a 78 billion, with a B, billion dollar industry every year. And they're all proffering, they're all giving the wrong information, eat less, exercise more. That is not going to work for anyone you know, you've known as a low carb person and the other people on your your summit, you don't need exercise at all. If you change your diet, you will fall to a normal weight and, and likely put a type two diabetes or whatever in remission without exercise. Now, exercise helps to make you feel better, but it's not burning anything. It's not burning any calories off. Put it that way. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it really is. It really is in, 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 incredible and a little bit crazy when you think about, you know, everything that we've been told and how wrong it is. And and then what a difference just this one thing, one thing can make. So is there a hierarchy of of sugar? Like the it sounds like high fructose corn syrup. If there was like a list of the very worst, that would probably be the top, right? (laughs) That's like crap. Yeah. The equivalents of it. Like what's, what's marijuana? Like you could probably get away with it a little bit, but not too much. Is there, is there like a, do you do that or is it all, is it all or nothing for you? 
Well, it's, an, it's a good question. And, and I think it more uh, is individual because we are individual, right? Bio individual. Everybody's going to be a little different. And here's how the numbers shake out. I was once the president of the Food Addiction Institute, right? And they've been studying this stuff for a long time. And, you know, I'm, I'm in associations of peers who are helping people with sugar and addiction and stuff. So here's how the numbers shake out. About a third of people are going to be stone cold sugar addicts. Biochemically, likely they're going to have to go abstinent and not use sugar and ultra processed carbs. And then about a third of people are what we call harmful users. And those harmful users, because 85% of the food system has sugar in it and they eat a little pizza and they eat a little ice cream and stuff. Over the years, they've just gained one or two pounds a year and now it's a problem. And But if they cut back and they get a little reset, likely maybe they could you know use the product again. And then there's a third of people that are, <laughs> we all hate them. No, I'm just kidding. They're normies, <laughs> they're normies right? They, they, mm-hmm. they can take it or leave it. Like a person who can drink half a glass of wine and not have another one for a month and not even think about it. You know, it's just not who they are. And so biochemically, we're all a little bit different. And it, it's more, I think, personally, I believe, and everybody has different opinions that they think it's inheritable or whatever. But I think personally, it's really how you grew up and how early you were exposed and how much you were exposed to, you know, it's how your family treats the product. You know, it's very almost easy. You can look into people's uh, shopping carts. You can take a look at them. You can see one of the things that helps me when I'm trying to bring people in for coaching is I just say, does your, what's your mom look like? What, what, what does she have type two diabetes? Has she has Alzheimer's? You know, they're calling Alzheimer's type three diabetes, right? You know, most of this research is being now focused on the brain, right? The brain is being affected. Your brain actually shrinks on sugar. I don't know if people knew that. Another shocking little scientific fact. But yeah, I mean, everybody's a little bit different. You've got to, you know, if you're if you're an addict, you know, you know, you don't have to take a quiz. You don't, you know. You've probably said, like we said at the beginning, you've probably, you know, joked about it. Oh, I'm a sugar addict. I'm a, jo- I'm a chocolate addict, whatever. So, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's fascinating the, yeah. and so scary. Um, so, we, I want to wrap this up and be mindful of time. Um, yeah. But I just have one quick question. Quick question. Rapid fire. Yeah, yeah. How do you feel about artificial sweeteners? Take them or leave them? Another another uh, Pandora's box here. Another, <laughs> that was uh, a big question. I, I get a lot of pushback on, right? So here's the science. And, and Dr. Lewis Cantley at the Cantley Lab at Cornell University, been sugar-free for 40 years. They named the lab after him. Like he said very clearly, and, and a lot of my guests have said the same thing in, in different interviews. It's like, once the body kind of gets the sweet taste, right? Our job here is to redo our taste buds, which will change in seven to 10 days, right? And once you get off of it, carrots will taste sweet, peppers will taste sweet, macadamia nuts will taste like candy, right? And we need Mm -hmm. to change our sweet taste, okay? So we need to move people away from sweet taste, what we think of as sweet taste now, because the manufacturers of this stuff are trying to keep us on this high, they're trying to find this bliss point where we're, you know, it's not too sweet, but not too sour, right? And so 
when the body, when the brain gets the sweet taste, it's looking for the high test. You know, it's looking for real sugar. So Mm -hmm. in the process of coming off it, here's what I always say, Ruth. I say, look, just give me 90 days. I say, buy into Mikey's little fantasy, right? (laughs) Just give me 90 days of abstinence from, you know, the, what we mentioned, the fruit and and the sweeteners and stuff. And you decide at that point, almost one with 100% success rate, no one goes back to their old life. Their skin is better. Their weight is better. Their memory is better. Here's a fun fact we can leave them with. Of all of the things that uh, you would think that I've had people put, I've had hundreds of people put type 2 diabetes in remission with diet. Hundreds of hundreds of pound weight loss, literally hundreds of pounds, right? And the thing that they rave about in the surveys is that their brain comes back online. They can Mm. focus better, remember better, sleep better, anxiety is better, right? They can work better. This is what they're excited about. Yes, yeah. they've lost weight. Yes, they've done this other stuff, but it's the brain that they're excited about. So anyway, a little fantasy. give us 90 days of low carb or no carb and you can see the changes. Okay. I love that. I love that. And, and I think I, what you said at the beginning of just preparing yourself that if you are addicted you're going to be detoxing. There's going to be withdrawals. You're going to not feel great for a little while, just as if you were detoxing from something else. So be prepared for that mentally and then find other ways of coping. So, so good. Okay. So I know you have an amazing resource. You mentioned it um, very briefly, but can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, the book that was on Amazon, it's still there if you want to get a paperback, but you can just go to sugaraddiction.com. We brought it home. We're giving it away for free now. It's It kind of outlines all the things that we've been talking about, um, but you can just download the book for free. It's at sugaraddiction.com. You'll see a big yellow cover. It's called The Last Resort Sugar Detox. Just hit the thing and download it. You can read it for free on your Kindle or your computer or whatever. Um, so. Yeah, just uh, grab the grab a copy of it and uh, see if uh, if this doesn't if what we've heard you know we've talked about today resonates with you. That'll give you more information. Awesome, I love it. Well, definitely resonated with me. So, Mike, thank you so much. This was amazing, and we're so glad to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Ruth. This has been fun. It's always good to talk about uh, you know this low carb thing. It's really it's been a it's been, it is an important step, I think, in the evolution of sugar and carbs into the diet over the years. For sure. Thanks so much. All right, guys, that does it for today's interview. And that means that's all I've got for you today. I will be back on Monday to talk about a topic that I know impacts most of us on a daily basis, stress. Specifically, we're going to be talking about all the different ways that stress affects our health and what you can actually do about it. In the meantime, be sure to subscribe or follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you like to listen. And not only that, if you know anyone else who would find this content useful, then please, please, please think about sharing it with them. Send them a text, share it on social, share it via email, shout it from the rooftops. I don't care how we get the word out, but let's get the word out about this sugar addiction and how bad it is for us. And then finally, because this podcast is so brand new, your reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you listen are a really big deal. So 
If you feel so inclined to leave a review, that would be absolutely amazing. Then be sure to take a screenshot and send it to us at hello at thinlicious.com as we are choosing listeners at random every week to win a whole bunch of fabulous prizes. And then finally, if you have any questions or you just want to connect or there's any topics you want to see me discuss on the podcast, shoot me an email at hello at thinlicious.com. But that's all for now. I'll see you soon.